Hello and welcome to Feminist Frequency Star Trek podcast. That did not take me three tries <laughs> to get out properly. It's fine. Everything is going well because we're back with season three of Star Trek Discovery, which isn't trash. And I'm really excited that it's not total trash. I'm your host, Anita Sarkeesian, and I've got some wonderful recurring guests for you today. You will remember Steve Shives, who is a YouTuber who makes videos where he talks about Star Trek and other things you won't find quite as interesting. Potentially. I don't know. Depends who you are, right? Yeah, I guess if, if yes, if you fall within a certain niche, you might find some of some of the rest of it interesting too. <laughs> and Lara Hudson, who is a writer for television, video games, and the occasional piece of journalism, I feel like that description really undervalues you, Lara, because you are like one of my all-time favorite writers and thinkers. So you know, just thank you, put that Anita. Out there. I really appreciate that. Yeah, you're the best. All right, welcome, friends. Awesome to be here. It's nice to be here to to to. Talk to humans. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, I don't even know what that means anymore. Um, so we are going to talk about episodes four and five today. Um, and let's just do it. So you, y'all know how we do. We just steal from CBS and read their descriptions of these episodes just to give you a quick refresher um, when you are listening to this. So Steve, will you read um, the description for Forget Me Not? Absolutely. Uh, episode four, forget me not, Burnham and Adira visit the Trill homeworld in hopes of unlocking the secrets trapped within Adira's mind. Back on the USS Discovery, Saru's efforts to help the crew reconnect with one another take a surprising turn. <laughs> Perfect. And Lara, will you uh, tell us what happened on Die Trying? After reuniting with what remains of Starfleet and the Federation, the USS Discovery and its crew must prove that a 930-year-old crew and starship are exactly what this new future needs. That is the description of that episode. Sure <laughs> that, is, is. that is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, um, okay, because uh, y'all are new to season three with us, like real quick, what are your thoughts of like how the season is going so far? In general, I, I feel like, God, I, I really wanted Discovery to be good. <laughs> Where it's like, I was rooting for you <laughs> um, for a long time in the same way that I was for Picard. And again, you know, I try to remember season one of Next Generation with ob some obvious exceptions. But it was also garbage. Um, so I've been I've been rooting for Discovery to kind of come through and be more of it doesn't have to be the exact Star Trek I, I want it to be. And it, it obviously shouldn't and can't be you know, TNG or DS9, but I wanted it to, I wanted or it to Voyager. How dare you? I, listen, <laughs> but I, wanted it, I wanted it to, I wanted it to be as, as people say in video games, at least a spiritual successor. I wanted it to have that core Star Trekness that I feel like has been missing from certainly the movies and a lot of other stuff. And I feel like we've finally started to see that come through in this season. Um, you know, it hasn't been perfect, but I, I feel like it has that fundamental core and that makes me really happy. And it makes me really excited to keep watching. Yeah, I I have liked it so far. I by the end of of season two, I I I had pretty much decided that I loved the show. Like season two got me to the point where I was like, okay, I this is I I'm no longer going to qualify this and say, oh, it's good, but it has problems. I mean, it it is good and it does have problems. But by the end of season two, <laughs> I, but by the end of season two, I was like, I I love I, I love this show. I'm excited for more of this show. Um, season three has not quite been that good yet, but I haven't. There hasn't been anything that I have thought was terrible. 
You know, like I have, I have friends who are fellow Star Trek nerds who, some of whom like it way more than I have so far. Like they're saying like, oh my God, the, you know, the first episode of season three, I was in tears. It was so beautiful. And I just didn't get that from it at all. But, uh, monster, but I also, (laughs) but I also have friends who like, who absolutely thought it was garbage and were like, you know, I can't believe I'm still watching this show. So I'm sort of, you know, in the middle on it, but I, there, there have been moments that I have absolutely loved. Uh, when, when they officially made Saru the captain, I got a little misty eyed cause I love Saru and I love his character arc throughout the series. Um, I like, I've, I, some, some of Burnham's moments so far have been, have been nice. Uh, Tilly is great as, as usual, um, I feel stay- like Tilly has been like the consistent yeah. greatness of the, like Tilly has not wavered in us just like loving her. Like She's you're great. like this show is a dumpster fire and total trash, but Tilly is like yeah. our goddess. <laughs> Give me more Tilly, um, and you know, and st- <laughs> uh, Stamets and uh, and Jet Reno have some really nice banter in the first couple episodes that really made me laugh. Um, because I think Anthony Rapp and Tignataro <laughs> have really good chemistry together as performers. So I mean, I've I've liked it. I haven't been completely over the moon for it, but I've liked it. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, and and we've talked about this before, like Star Trek is, can't be everything that people want it to be. Like, it's not going to be everything to everyone at every moment. Right. And our memories and our feelings of Star Trek are so tied up with our childhoods or tied up with all kinds of uh, in- emotional uh things that we relate to shows that we watched when we were younger and all mm-hmm. and everything we're putting on it. So like, yeah, I make the joke of like, you know, there's constantly the Voyager versus DS9 argument, but like I haven't watched Voyager in 10 years. I have no fucking idea if I would still <laughs> like it or not. Right. Like I'm remembering liking it at the time that I watched it. Um, So I think that it's interesting to hear, like there's such a variance in folks who like this season, don't like this season, et cetera. Like I, I have been loving it. Like I, I finally, like the first three episodes, I was like, holy shit, like this feels, <laughs> this feels good to me. This feels like a good sort of like newness to the show, but also some of the the diplomacy and some of the like struggle and and like the crew is together and they're operating like, you know, they're not, they're not arguing with each other or like they aren't secret agent spies, whatever the hell, what's his face was in the first season <laughs> uh, from another timeline. So I, I've just been really enjoying it. I have to say, though, like, we'll get into this, but four and five just didn't quite do it for me the way that the first three episodes did. And I think we can talk a little bit more about, like, what's happening in those episodes and why why it feels that way. But before we do that, I, I want to, like, <clears throat> I don't want to bury the lead here um, because I think that gender representation on Star Trek is such a important, it's, it's such an important thing with what they're doing, right? We have so many more people of color on the show. We have so much more like inclusiveness in the cast and in the characters that we're engaging with. Like there are moments where I was like, wait, is everyone on screen a person of color right now? Like that's fucking rad. And so go continuing that trend. We have now been introduced to our first trans character in any Star Trek ever by um, the character's name is Gray played by Ian Alexander. And like, you know, I have some issue with the fact that like, the first trans character is on for like five minutes and dies. Yeah. Um, but, but like, or do they? <laughs> well, exactly. Right. That, that I was, I was texting a friend being like, Oh, what the fuck? This is such bullshit. Um, but then you see them again, or you see him again at the end and you're like, okay, you might be recurring. You might like show up more and more because you're living inside of your lover. 
like what? Um, and I, but think I, that, do, I do think that that's something that is is interestingly a through line of four and five is you know what does death mean? What does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to die? Particularly in a universe where identity is so fluid, where states of being are so fluid. I, I think that that's, I mean, we can get into it with trills and, you know, how that functions. But I think that when we're talking about identity, it's interesting that they dig into it in that way as well. What does it mean? You know, and, and I think trills have always played with that idea of like, what does it mean? You know, I think, you know, when we, you look back at DS9 with Jadzia, that was when, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if that was them trying to like get around, you know, the whole, well, they, you know, but they're not really gay together because Jadzia used to be a man (laughs) and she used to be, I don't know, and I don't care. But like that idea of you are this, you know, you have these person's memories and you, they are you and you are them, but also you're not, right? I like, I always found that to be such a fascinating concept and poking that idea at that idea that identity is, is not always one thing and it's, you know, not always static and it can be fluid in ways that can be difficult to define or understand. Um, I, I like that because, you know, again, I think they poked at it in DS9 and I feel like there is a fuller potential exploration of that, that I don't know, this character could be a part of. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, well, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here, because what, one of the things that I have liked about uh, the character of, of Adira, who is the played by a non-binary actor, and we're told that the character will eventually be referred to as non-binary as well, but so far she's referred to with female pronouns, but that they have given Adira things other than the fact that she is a trans character. You know, that is that, 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 presumably will become a part of her character at some point will be, will become an, an acknowledged part of her character, but she's also, she's got, she's a human with a trill symbiont. She's apparently an engineering genius. Like they're, they're setting her up to have story potential for things other than just representation of an underrepresented group, uh, which I think is really smart and really good because you don't, the, the kind of representation you want is not to have people just reduced to one identity you want to show people being a part of the community and contributing in all sorts of ways and being fully realized individuals who are allowed to be who they are um and it seems like they're setting that character up for that and i, I hopefully they follow through on that <laughs> you know and, and that, yeah and like that, that character is, is a realized. part of like adira is going to be a part of this crew now right yeah. um that like a, a an important uh, an important piece of the crew i um i think that I do want to point out that um, having the having Gray being a trans character whose um, whose transness doesn't matter, like isn't a hardship, isn't a <clears throat> difficulty, isn't um, you know a challenge to their existence, um, and is someone who is desirable and lovable. I think is really really important, um, and I, I I I like that they made sure that that was a component of this character. I would love to hear more. Um, sort of uh, pieces or, or, or opinions from the trans community about these characters. Um, and, you know, we're going to see them come into life a little bit more in the show as the show progresses, I imagine. But like, I am a little bit like, are you siloing these people together? Like you put, you have what we are, have been told will be a non-binary character who is played by a non-binary actor. Um and you've put the you've put them together as lovers, and then you've put one inside of the other. <laughs> you know, like I just 
I'm a little bit like, please don't silo like all the transness on this show into this one storyline or this one character. Um, like, I, I don't think that's too much to ask. I also wonder what this means. And I don't know that this is good or bad. I just I think it's interesting is that, you know, I, I think they have made an effort to suggest that Adira is is her their own person. Uh, you know, there's that moment with the admiral or whatever. Where he's like, I was friends with, you know, Senatal, but you're a different person. It's like, yeah, well, they are. Um, yeah. But for for Adira's, you know, realization of, you know, their transness, like, I, I hope that, you know, I does that come about as a fact of getting access to these other memories and and being influenced by that? Or is it something that's in and of themselves? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if that seems like a really fine distinction, but there's a part of me that, you know, wants a deer to have their transness as something that's particular to them and not something that's like given to them by having access to the memories of all these other people. Yeah. yeah. And also like the, the fact that the two trans characters are now, Trill, like hosts or symbi or whatever, fucking whatever the lore is of trillness. Um, that <laughs> like hosts. Th- hosts. that is yeah, yeah, right. They're hosts, but like you know, it's complicated because Adira is human and et cetera, et cetera. But like I, you know, like you're saying, I think I, I might just be repeating your idea here or your thought here, but like the that I, I'm just I I love I love the mythology of the trill, and I love the mythology of like that whole universe and that society. And I actually, I want us to talk a little bit more about how that comes out into this episode, but I do worry that like, well, I don't even know how to say this, like that they're that, that the trans characters are intergenerational. And so they have all of these different genders inside of them, which then makes them trans like, like, yeah, you, you know, like clearly gray is trans first and foremost before before he becomes Trill, but like the fact that they're Trill, he's Trill and ha- I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know how to articulate this point. Like there's, they're, they're not just humans that are non-binary or that are trans in the world. They have that- to have this other component that, that creates depth to their gender identity because now they are inhabiting all these memories of all these different genders. And what I think is key to me is I don't want it to be like being, you know, getting a symbiont you know, made them trans, you know, I, I, I'd love to see a discussion of, Oh, you know, I'd always felt this or blah, blah, blah. You know, I could see, especially as a young person, suddenly having access to experience in memory as experiencing the world's a different gender that could open your mind up, you know, that could help you have a realization. I just hope it is that. And, you know, I, I do think we have some precedent for thinking about it this way in terms of trill culture, right? Because there is that, you know, heavy emphasis on, you know, you don't just go get back with, your ex in a new body, right? Like these are, you were, you were given these memories, you were given these experiences to make you a richer person, not to become any of these people or pretend to be uh-huh. any of these people. You know, it's like, it's, there are stories that you get to experience as memories, but they are not you. And I, I think that, you know, making that is as fuzzy of a line as it may feel when it's like part of you, I think it's important in this case, that they dig into that, that having access to those memories, that's not her. She is, and you know, that's the name changes that she is a deer at all. She is a, they, she, they, he, I'm not sure which one we're using or that they're she, using. They, so the character Adira is referred to as she okay. on the show currently. Okay. So yeah, I, I just, I, I hope that they do that. They, they clearly delineate her as a separate being who is informed by, but not 
created by or instantiated by these mm-hmm. memories and experiences. It, it's always interesting to me when Star Trek chooses to um, to deal with a topic or to represent a group directly rather than allegorically. And I'm really hoping, like I, I, like we've been talking about for the last couple of minutes with Adira, like I, re- I do really hope that she comes out as non-binary uh, because that is... That, that because that is just truly her identity, not because of the trill thing. Because I, I find it interesting that um, it it looks like what they're doing with uh, with with uh, Lieutenant Detmer's story, uh, with her sort of dealing with the trauma of crashing of crashing the ship. Um, maybe they're still going. Maybe there's still another shoe to drop with that. But it, you know, at first it looked like well, maybe there's like going to be some sci-fi stuff going on. Maybe maybe she's going through some Star Trek thing, like she's been infected by some kind of alien thing, or or maybe you know, control the evil AI from last season has entered her consciousness or something, and that's why she's acting weird. But it looks like it turns out no, she's just going through some stuff. Like she's just she's just processing trauma from crashing the ship, and it's the sort of thing that that anyone who has been through a traumatic event might have to deal with and it's not a sci-fi twist it's just someone who has been through a trauma and is and and needs some some help to to work on it and i hope that's the direction they're going with her because that's really interesting and 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 again the sort of thing that star trek doesn't always do star trek usually historically has tried to come up with like a sci-fi twist on a real issue or a real you know experience um and then explore it through that like what we mentioned earlier with with Jadzia, you know, in DS9 reconnecting with someone who had been uh, her partner in a previous host. And then through that, they do, you know, the same sex kiss and, and they do like an allegory of, of, um, of discrimination against gay people instead of literally telling that story. And with Detmer and her PTSD, if we can call it that, it seems like they're going, no, they're actually just going to have a character dealing with PTSD. And hopefully – with Adira's identity, they'll do the same thing. It won't be, you know, well, this is meant to rep, this is meant to sort of allegorically stand for a non-binary person's identity, but, but it's actually some other thing. Hopefully they, they actually do allow the character to just be that. I do think that trauma was an interesting through line for both of the episodes. And I think we did mm-hmm. see it happen on both literal and allegorical levels. You know, I, I think with Detmer, I actually, I thought it was going to be like, oh, she damaged her augment in the crash because I remember yeah. her holding her head. That's and I was like, 100% oh. what I thought it yeah. was, yeah. And I think it's actually interesting that it's like, no, the augment's fine. The, the, the damage is, I mean, because that's the whole thing about PTSD, right? Like if you're physically hurt, everyone can look and be like, you're hurt. When you have PTSD, it's damage that no one can see, but then can affect you just as profoundly. So we see her going through that. We see Adira going through, you know, her, her blocking out the memories of her hosts because she hasn't processed this traumatic experience that she had with acquiring the symbiont with losing gray. Um, like, I don't know if there's an analogy in there about having a realization about herself, uh, you know, potentially needing to navigate trauma to do that or not. But then you get to the fifth episode and you have, you know, I was like, Oh, we're just going for it. Uh, I mean, you also have the, the entire crew with, um, why can I not think of the captain's name now? Why is my brain broken? Saru. Saru, you know, realizing that the entire crew has experienced this profound loss of their home, of their time, of all of of their families, of everything, and trying to help them process that. And then in five, you get the father who has, you know, his family has died Mm -hmm. and, you know, he goes out of phase. You know, he he basically decouples with 
the world with, you know, the physical world, with the tangible world, with his place in time, because he can't accept reality. You know, that idea of like, you know, grief is coming to terms with reality and being able to be there and not in the past and move on. I feel like that was doing more of like the allegorical trauma thing. But I think both episodes were coming at it from a bunch of different angles, which I found interesting. Yeah, which I think will be recurring um, and ongoing because they're clearly, you know, the 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 scenario in which they everyone is living the t- the world as it exists like is very traumatic um both in terms of like the crew coming in from the past and the people living in that time period having lived through the burn and and the you know destruction or the dismantling of the federation um i i also want to just remind us that we this is not the first time discovery has dealt with ptsd that tyler yeah um that was i thought I that was one of the few things I liked about that season and of that character who was otherwise irritating um, was that they actually talked about like, you know, like PTSD as it relates to being violated, um, abuse against men, um, you know, and so that's interesting. I do not like the way they're dealing with this with Detmer. It's fuck. It's weird to me. And I think that like so episode four for me, I, I don't have a problem with what it was doing doing and i don't have a problem with like the story and like the, the 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 way that they're building these characters it just felt so amateur like the storytelling didn't feel as sophisticated as i have come to expect from contemporary television and that i've come to expect from this season of the show and so for example you were saying with De- there's two parts of this i think with detmer i was like there's got to be more this can't just be ptsd like the way that they're framing it like feels different um and then having her like say what she said to stamets which i think steve you were talking about like it sounds like she was possessed and then her just going you know and then she goes to culver and says like yeah i'm not okay and it's hard for me to say that so to me they set up all of these like i don't know like gray herrings almost like they set up all these things to make us think it was anything other than ptsd because nobody else is reacting in the same way that she's reacting and let's be honest ptsd there are signs and symptoms that are very similar across people with ptsd it's not just like everyone has their own way of expressing it although that can't it can manifest a little bit differently and then you have this moment with culber where she's like pilots are macho And so it's hard for me to admit that I am that I need help, like I need psychological support. And I was like, but there's nothing about you that has ever been macho on this show ever. Right. And you just not wanting to admit that you're struggling emotionally, like everything that they're doing with her character around PTSD just feels so weird and like it doesn't sink and it's pulling me out of the story yeah i i agree i think that the whole macho thing was a like almost like a retcon to like make a point about ptsd and not something that felt authentic to the character i mean to me also on a practical level we've seen her having like i don't know if we'd call them brownouts or whatever but certainly moments where it has visibly affected her ability to fly the ship in ways that other people have repeatedly noticed you know obviously um you know, the, there have been other people on the crew who have been like, you seem not okay. She has one of the most important and critical positions on the ship. Like if someone were a surgeon and they were having weird brownouts, you know, while holding the scalpel, or, I think someone would be like, hey, we need to get you some help. And also you probably should put down the scalpel. Like I find it a little bit troubling that people are noticing that she is having serious cognitive effects while at the wheel of the entire ship. And everyone's, you know, even when um, the Admiral tells Saru, like, yeah, her baseline's really messed up and she's not okay. He's like, she'll be fine. 
it's fine. Everything's fine. I'm like, it's not fine, you guys. Like, even beyond the denial of, like, oh, my friend's okay, my friend's okay. Like, on a practical level, she probably shouldn't be driving the ship right now. <laughs> I, I yeah. think I think you could kind of – you can chalk part of that up to uh, this, like – for as as much as it seems more interested in dealing with the long-term effects of their experiences than other past Star Trek shows have been, it's still mostly a Star Trek show because that that's sort of a classic way of of dealing with characters in Star Trek shows, isn't it? Like they they go through these incredibly traumatic experiences that would destroy a normal person emotionally. And next week it's like it never happened. Or, you know, if it's a really, really traumatic experience, they might get one episode to kind of work through it. And then it's never mentioned again. So with Discovery, it's kind of like, yeah, we'll acknowledge that there are long-term effects, that they are that the 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 shock of being transported a thousand years into the future is something that they're not just going to get over and with Detmer specifically she's having particular trauma because she was flying the ship when it crashed into the planet and you know she's deeply affected by that and very shaken by that but she, yeah she's still like she's still but going also to work like, like I don't know I there's something about and and I'm I'm happy to be totally wrong here. I'm happy to always be wrong. No, that's not true. But um, the that's not true at all. You'll but grudgingly like, admit that you were wrong. Yeah, like she crashes the ship, and so I just don't buy that. I don't buy that that's as big of a deal as it is. Like I I buy that like you're having PTSD because like you literally are never going to see your life again. I don't know why that's not a bigger thing, yeah. right? Like it's you know they're they're. There, you've made this choice. Your life has irrevocably, irrevocably changed. It's very Voyager, right? Like I got, I'm getting really strong Voyager vibes in the like, okay, the captain needs to like emotionally support the crew because you might never see your house, your home again. And that, that crew didn't even make the choice. It just happened to them. Right. Um, But like, I don't know, wouldn't pilots have crashed shit before and you've like gone <laughs> through things and your ship has just like fallen apart and stuff. I just, I, t- it doesn't feel big enough to me. It doesn't feel um, like a, a strong enough motivation here for, for this storyline. I'll, I'll agree with you to the point that I, I think that it feels like a lot all at once for Detmer. Part of that I think is because she's one of the characters that has not been terribly well served by the show up to this point. Uh, Like Laura said a minute ago, she has one of the most important jobs on the ship. She is a very, very crucial member of the crew, but as a member of the cast of the show, she hasn't really been all that important. We haven't spent a lot of time with her. We don't really know her all that well. I think in season two, they gave her a couple of lines or a couple of scenes to sort of shade in a little bit of her, but, but we don't really know her that well. So now all of a sudden she's got this, this it's a B or a C story, but still it's like an important story that we keep coming back to and getting updates on and, and it has developed. And it just seems like an awful lot for this character in the third season of the show who theoretically is a super important person on the ship, but who we don't really know all that well. So it's hard to say like whether this is, in character for her or out yeah, of character totally. for her or, you know, because we don't well, really know her. And, and but I mean, one thing, one thing I will say about the season and sort of the tail end of the last season is that it did start to do this specific thing, which is something I think is very Star Trekking and something I like, which is you get the character episode. 
right? Uh-huh. You're like, this is the, cause before I felt like it was, it was more ensemble focused, more action focused, more season long story arc focused with some exceptions, but you didn't get the, like, this is their episode. Let's learn about them. Now we get that for Adira right up front. Uh-huh. I like that we get more of that with Detmer, but I do agree with Anita that it feels weirdly unfocused, which is why I think we keep coming up with these different hypotheses for it. It's also like, yeah, in real life, crashing a ship like that, it would certainly be enough to give you PTSD, but it, it feels so general in the sense that, yeah, she was driving, everyone crashed. It, it, it's hard to pick out as a dramatic story point, you know, for Adira, it's like, yeah, an asteroid hit the ship and like killed her boyfriend. And then she had to have surgery five minutes later. Yeah, that'll do it. I get it. Right. <laughs> yeah, but totally. It's, but it's like for, for Detmer, it was like a general action sequence occurred. And now she has PTSD. And I think it's just, it's harder, you know, again, these are invented narratives. We can make them whatever we want. It doesn't feel like dramatic and sticky enough. Or if you are going to go for the subtle thing, then talk about that, you know, like acknowledge that PTSD can occur from, even if everyone else is doing fine, I'm not doing fine. I think that I, yeah, I think there's something there that's not sticky enough. That's not either being acknowledged enough in terms of it being dramatic enough or acknowledged enough in terms of they should be saying these things if they want them to be subtle and have us understand them. I feel like there is a gap there. Or, you know, maybe it's connected to something earlier in her life. We get have flashbacks. That's fine. You know, like, I just, I agree with Anita that, like, I like Detmer. I like that we're seeing more of her. But it feels like there's something missing there in the story they're trying to tell. Yeah. Um, before we go dive into season, uh, episode five, I do want to um, just talk a little bit about the Trill planet and the like what happened there, because so this is another reason why I thought episode four sucked is because it just it like I loved the I, I love what the, the idea of like there's a Trill in a human body and that could be the future of their race that's like clearly decimated and, you know, they don't have enough hosts and all of that. Um, and that's really tragic, right? It's like a slow burning genocide in some ways, um, which, you know, I don't know if that's the right word for that, but um, but it just felt so simple and but not in the good way that I think storytelling can be simple. It was like, okay, you get to the planet and then they are like, no, 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 you can't do this. And then they secretly go into the pool and then they come out of the pool <laughs> and they're like, Oh, you you're right. We're sorry. We almost tried to kill you. Right? Like you're just like what the fuck? Like there's just so many pieces of that that I was like, "Come on already." I will say though that I think the end of this episode was very emotional. Like the very end of this episode, I was like, "Oh shit, these are feelings." Like when when they said, "Say your names," like I straight up started to cry. Yeah. Like that was really powerful and it reminds me of if if you watched um Lovecraft Country, we talked about this on a bonus of Feminist Frequency Radio about how like that episode where she like gets to speak her name and she yeah. gets to speak who she wants to be like this this idea of of your identity and claiming it um, is really, really powerful. So that one piece of this I like adored. But the rest of it, I was like, man, really? Like you could have done this a little a little smoother. I, yeah. And I, I do want to say as a quick note, like the whole um, 
it, it feels like a genealogy, right? Like, you know, there's in, in some cultures, they had that like so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so. And that is another way to think about trill identity, right? Like, yeah, it's inside them, but like, so is your family in a sense, you know, if your family is is genetically related to you, you know, that, you know, you, you are informed by it, but not predetermined by it. Maybe that's another cool analogy to have. I also 100% agree. Like, it felt very... I don't know. I felt jerked around by the oversimplicity of it. Like, I also don't think that that was a conflict. It was a little hat on a hat. There was enough conflict in like, yeah, she is a human with a trill inside of her. She may or may not be able to access those memories. She may or may not be able, like, who knows if she's even a long-term viable host and who knows what's going to happen or how safe or dangerous it will be to go in the pool. I feel like that was enough conflict right there. You didn't have to add the extra layer of like, we're going to threaten you now get off the planet. (laughs) Now it's like, even if they'd been like, yeah, we don't know what's up with this. This could be really dangerous. We're going to go with you. Let's see what's happening. Well, and then Michael fine. going in the pool instead of them that are the actual bearers yeah. of the pool. You know, like it just and even like you're talking about the conflict in this episode was very um, poorly done. Like even at the haiku dinner, which the haiku shit was <laughs> fucking amazing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was like, OK, cool. I'm down with this. But even that conflict like was resolved in two seconds. Like it was gruesome. And then it was resolved a minute later. I don't I think. I don't know. This might be unfair to say, but I feel like they may have given this episode to a junior writer, right? Like when they handed out the episodes, <laughs> it was given to a junior writer and like no hard feelings. You're doing great. Love you. Congrats on the job. But like it just needed a little bit more smoothing. It needed a little more like nuance. Yeah. I, I think also wonder. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. I, well, I, I just I, I I do think that like the uh, the resolution of the of the Trill storyline was a little too neat because you know, there's that what there was that one guy who is a total jerk about Adira being human and was like, "This is an abomination." And then at the end, he's just like, "Oh, never mind, my bad." Right? At <laughs> least have him like huff off in a yeah. in a pissy rage yeah. or something. You know, have him be like outvoted or something. Like have the rest of the people be like, "No, you just shut up. This is going to be." How and actually, it is wouldn't now. that be more interesting if this is going to be a longer term thing and they are bringing in humans and other races where there probably would be a faction? It's like, no, this should sure. only be for trills. Like, blah, blah. like yeah, have that of faction. Course. Have some factions. Leave it complex. Yeah, that's more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, I do think it's the neat resolution. Like it's almost like I think about it like they're almost like there's certain, you know, guideposts in the plot line where it's like, okay, well, we need to get to here and we need to get to here and we need to get to here. And it's like, I, you know, where they're like, you know what we want? We want to have Michael in the pool with her so they can mm-hmm. have that sequence in the thing. How do we get there? doesn't matter. Just get her in the pool. Yeah. How get do we get pool. there is we send Michael instead of Colbert so that they can have the TV, so that they can have the dinner with everybody that's hasn't been gone for a year. Like, it's just, yeah. it, like, it, it's fine. Like, I, you know, but it's just so contrived at some point. Yeah. Um, it feels like Mike, I mean, the, the, Michael goes in the pool because Michael is the protagonist of the series. Yeah. Like that's the reason. And they don't really just, they justify it a little tiny bit beyond that. Just so well, you'll, and accept they have it, to but, show, they have to show yeah. a bonding of those two characters because um, for some reason, Adira didn't want Michael to go like that. Wasn't also yeah. wasn't really explained. Like why does she prefer Culver, Culver over Michael? And so they needed a way to bond them so that something in the future can happen. Right. Yeah. Like I get that, whatever storytelling, like, you know, series long storytelling, it's fine, but it's still like, 
it's very transparent in a way that I think is tiring sometimes. I, I will say there it, before we move on to to talk, you know, I guess talk in more detail about the next episode. Um, it was difficult for me to be critical of episode four, uh, even though I, I acknowledge it. I mean, it, it's not a perfect episode, and uh, for the th- the things we've been talking about already, but there are two things in the episode that absolutely hit me right in the sweet spot. The first is just the fact that the trill stuff is a return to elements of the franchise that were introduced in deep space nine, which is my favorite show in the franchise. And, and even though the trill mythology was never my favorite part of the show, I mean, I loved the character of Jadzia, but the trill lore was not necessarily what I connected with, but it's just, it's always cool to see callbacks to deep space nine, uh, in, in the newer shows. Cause that's just my jam. That's my favorite star Trek. Um, but also the, First of all, there's a Buster Keaton reference in episode four. Buster Keaton is my favorite ever. The movie that they watch for movie night, the Buster Keaton movie that Saru shows everybody, is Sherlock Jr., which is no shit my favorite movie ever. Aww. So I was like, I was text I was texting a friend while while I was watching this episode, and I was saying to her, you know, hi Dana, by the way, my friend who I was texting. Um I said, uh, if this goes the way this the way I think this is going to go, this is going to turn out to be like my favorite episode ever. <laughs> and, well, and it turned out they actually were watching Sherlock Jr. I'm like, they are literally watching my favorite movie. That's delightful. In I a love Star that Trek show. Yeah, I, <laughs> I do. Really cool. I do sometimes. I mean, I, this is something that used to annoy me, and I feel like I've just I've given in and I've abandoned my objections. Where it's like, yeah, this is like the twenty whatever it's century, and they're like, you know what we happen to be obsessed with is yes. things that took place in the late nineteen nineties in early. Early aughts on Earth. I fucking love baseball. I love Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. You know, they, so there was actually this meme that pointed out something <laughs> related to this, where it's like always on Star Trek, where they're like the great writers of history, like Shakespeare and Mark Twain and Glock Beetlebork of you know the the Bug Planet, where they always do that. It's like two things you know, and then one completely ridiculous thing. But like most of the things are always like this hyper specific forty year period on Earth. For like reasons, um, but like yeah. you know what, I, I don't care anymore. I don't if care you, that it's baseball. I don't care that it's Sherlock Holmes. I don't care that it's Buster Keaton. I've given in, and I'm just gonna enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? But like, I I agree. I completely agree, and I think I've gone on that same trajectory as you too. Where I'm always like, well, can't you say the thing that we know, and then say another thing that we don't know that's like related? Like in in the century we know, like I'm a, I. I most of the time they don't do the glug 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 bug planet thing. Most of the time they just do like, hey, remember the Renaissance? No, you don't. You don't fucking remember <laughs> the Renaissance. Like, why is Saru talking about the discovery of the three-point perspective after the decade? <laughs> I'm like, here's the thing though. Here's the cool thing about making up total other alien cultures is you could completely make up a whole artistic movement that perfectly fits whatever weird analogy you want and just say it happened on the bug planet. Doesn't matter. Like you, <laughs> yeah. can, you can make that shit up. I would love to see them do that. I think it'd be really funny. I agree. Um, it, it, by the way, if anybody has never read the work of Glug Beetlebork of the bug planet it's highly recommended that also that that but that that trope of everybody being obsessed with 20th century culture in star trek is it, that allows them to make one of my favorite jokes that they've ever made in anything star trek and i think it's in star trek beyond when um 
they're on the the Franklin and they're playing, they're going through the music library and they start playing the Beastie Boys song. And one of the, and of course we've established that Captain Kirk is a Beastie Boys fan, but one of the other characters hears the music and he goes, is that classical music? So... <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> I did love I did love Worf's obsession with Klingon opera, and I did love that it was occasionally ah. performed on DS Nine at unexpected times. I, I, I did like that. I did like that. So I think the last thing in this episode that's worth just like commenting on is the reminder about the uh, sphere because I totally fucking forgot about all of that. So like that clearly is going to be. It became that became very relevant in episode five when they're trying to explain the value of discovery and why they shouldn't recommission the ship and all of that. So that happened. I will also say my notes um, for episode four, the said I'm bored. Ending is sweet. I miss book. <laughs> that was my takeaway. I miss my hottie boyfriend. Okay. Like I just, I haven't seen him in ages and I really miss him. And he should be in every episode. You know what made me think of him is you brought up, you know, Beardy McClingon face. Who was that? Tyler. Yeah, Tyler. Where I was just like, I never liked him for Michael. I really didn't. No, of course not. You know, I know that, you know, so far that, you know, they're playing it down. There was was chemistry there with Book that was, you know, interesting and real. They're totally going to make out. We saw it in the previews. It's going to be great. And I'm going to jump for joy. On that episode. Yeah. It'll be awesome. I'm excited. Okay, so episode five um, is, what'd you think of episode five? Oh, yeah. I didn't like it as much as four, but, you know, partly, and I and maybe this is similar to Steve, like, I, I'm a big DS9 fan, mm. currently rewatching it with my brother as we speak. Well, I mean, in general, not this exact moment. Um, and, like, the trills <laughs> have always been one of my favorite species. And so, yeah, like, I, I think I was more attracted to that than I was to what's the species that non is and that the guy is on the station. Barzan. 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 Yeah. And they also said they don't have the same relationship with death, but I don't know that they ever explained what that was. We can get to that in a second, but yeah, I just, I I thought it was interesting. I just didn't find it as compelling as, you know, let's, you know, let's, you know, the dinner party haiku, trauma events and then the visit well, to it's the also, home world. It's also an episode that doesn't, uh, it will have weight in terms of the fact that they are doing something to gain respect and trust of the fed- the existing Federation. But that whole story with the Barzan, I think is like a passing story. So it, mm-hmm. it probably didn't have the same kind of weight where the Trill story isn't a passing story. It's because true. of Adira. What, so. what we did, I don't agree. I liked five better than four, but I think that that's like, you know. What we did get as nerds, uh, which I wanted, you tell me, your, your mileage may vary, was like, yeah, I wanted that thing about like, what, what cent- wait, what century are we in now again? Isn't it? I think it's like the 30th? 32nd or something. Sure. It's, yeah, 32nd century. The, the what does the Federation something. look like? Yeah. Like I want to see the ship that's entirely made out of like, you know, holographic walls. I want to see the <laughs> ship that's this, this giant floating rainforest. I want to see all their eyes bright with like Federation wonder, like the future. You know, I, I think having that nice moment of like, yeah, the Federation has endured. It looks really fucking cool. It's like that moment that I felt, I feel like the first time when you saw them go down to like, you know, the Federation in San Francisco and it's just like kind of beautiful future Mm. utopian world. And you're like, Oh, it's so great. And like, yeah, it's more complicated now in the way that they're addressing it and it should be, but I don't know that whole wide eyed, 
you know, string soaring. Here's the Federation of the future. Like as a fan, I liked that. I thought that was cool. I had a hard time with how excited they were to find the Federation for two reasons. One was that I was just waiting for the shoe to drop, right? I was like, you cannot have your cast be this <laughs> excited about something and something bad not be about to happen, um, which it did, but not as severely as I thought it was going to be. Um, and then the other thing is that I I don't know. I don't feel there's something. So th- they set it up with the opening monologue, and I just don't think it was enough for me because I'm like, these people have made the choice to leave their homes and their families forever. And the choice was made in the blink of an eye. Like they didn't actually, it was made in a, like a very stressful, probably traumatic moment. You know, like it's not like this was a planned thing that they get to, to really sit through and and think about and make the choice of. Um, So like finding the Federation didn't, I get that you have nothing else and the Federation is the only thing that you have, but the Federation is totally different. You don't know any of these people. The technology is totally different. Like what you have is your family on the ship as the crew. That's it. So like the, the overwhelming excitement to find the Federation and that being like home and this being like what we know, I'm like, it's not actually anything that, you know, it is completely different. I think, I think it's like, you think about the way that I, I like that we get to see how Michael reacts and how the rest of the crew reacts because Michael has had time outside of the Federation and maybe always had problems with the Federation on some level as, as this institutional authority, right? Where I, I think she is the one that's more skeptical, but for the rest of them, like it's military, but not military, right? Like it's, yeah. there's, there's that sense of hierarchy, that sense of, well, you come back. Yeah, they are going to requisition it. Yeah, they can send you to other places. But it's also something that these people deeply believe in, you know, like it's this enduring core that is stretched from, you know, the time of, you know, yeah, that's the inter- true. And, and the idea that like the whole thing is like the Federation endures, the Federation endures and to come back and be like, yeah, it does endure. And we can return to that and be a part of that. Like, I think that's a very real ideal for them. And even though they get there and the guy's skeptical and of course he's, dry- he's gruff and he's trying to pull them apart and they do the thing, it is still the Federation, Right. I mean, I well, don't know, Steve, what did you think? And what I, I, yeah, I agree with you. And I think the episode, uh, to, to your concern, Anita, like, I, I think the episode deals with that. I think like they are shown to be super happy to have found the Federation. There's that shot where they're, you know, gathering at the window and looking out at the ships in wonder as, as, as the discovery flies through that, that sort of bubble that protects the Federation now. Um, and then they're disillusioned. Like they are, the, the other shoe does drop and, and, but it's not a shoe of, Oh, the Federation is evil now, or the Federation is corrupt or whatever. It's more subtle than that. It's well, we don't really trust you guys yet. And if we do get to a point where we trust you and we believe your story about coming from a thousand years in the past, we're not, we don't want to just let you keep your ship and go about whatever missions you want like we're going to we're going to reassign you to other places we're we're going to use you as we see fit because we're the federation and we're starfleet and we need help and if you can help us we're going to put you where we need you and that is introduced as this as this threat to the crew because it would be just imagine how cuz you're right like all they have is each other and imagine how crushing it would be to find the one place that you've been hoping to find. And then not only is it not what you expected, but there's the possibility that it's going to take away all of the other comforts that you still have. So, I mean, 
and I granted, I don't think there's like I never really believed that there's any danger of that happening. Like I, I never, I, I did not think for a second that the show was going to go in that direction where they were all going to be reassigned to different ships. Yeah, totally. You know, but but just the fact that they introduced that possibility for the characters, I think that's the episode dealing with that. You know, we're, they're they're supposed to be a little over the top with their enthusiasm and they're wide eyed, like, oh look, it's the Federation, because then the hard cold hand of reality grabs a hold of him, you know, and is like, oh, it might not actually be that way, you know? Yeah, totally. I, um, I loved Giorgio be, like figuring out how to disrupt the hologram interrogators, right? <laughs> like I loved that. Like I, I was a little bit confused about the whole Terran stuff because like are Terrans existing in the other timeline or are there Terrans that exist in the world that we, that that the Federation has never encountered in the main timeline? And like, are Terrans Earth? Yeah. I think Terran is the term that is, Terran is used pretty much exclusively at now. It's been mixed in the past, but I think now when they say Terran, they mean a person from Earth from the Mirror Universe. Yeah. It's all Mirror Universe. Yeah. It's all, okay. Yeah. Also, were you guys aware that the guy who came to interrogate Giorgio was David Cronenberg. David Cronenberg. Yes. How cool is that? Shut up. I totally missed that. How cool is that? Interesting. Fascinating. Yeah, I I like Giorgio's not being given much, but I'm enjoying what she is being given as like comic relief. And then also like the interrogation I thought was a really nice reminder of like, yeah, she's here for Michael, right? Like she has this bond with Michael and they haven't been able to show it and they haven't really done anything with it, but they just this subtle reminder of like something's gonna happen with that, right? Like something is going to evolve with their relationship. And I I loved that. Um, I'm really sad. Like I, I I loved the I I really actually liked how what they did narratively with this episode. I liked that they had to find a scientific solution to gain their trust, mm-hmm. right? That they they got to capitalize on what Michael and the team are really good at. And so seeing Michael um convince them to save the lives of the bug people. <laughs> I don't know who they are. Um that's the stand-in for whoever. From the bug um, planet. From the bug planet. Um having Michael be like captain was really satisfying. Like having Michael be in her element as this leader, like this very um, compassionate leader. That's like, yeah, you're being a dick to us and we're just going to ignore that. And we're going to keep going. Right. Cause we need to save some people. And then having it be the, like having it be this um, uh, like seed vessel, right? Like a seed bank and the seed bank looked really cool. And then the vessel being covered in plants and like, I don't know. I fucking loved all that. And I think that having it be the Barzon being another species that we are now just like learning about. I'm just, I'm really sad that we lost. Um, what's her face? Like, I'm sad that she's, I don't, what, I can't even remember what her name is, but the non, the, non, yeah. thank you. Thank you. I'm sad that we lost her in this episode. Like I didn't see that coming and I don't really fully understand why that even happened. Like, I don't get what the whole, thing was around it but i i appreciated um the sort of conflict of culture that occurred because that's so star trekky you know what was because she was like they don't see death we don't see death the way that I you do but know. how oh, i was like cool how do you see it and then they like don't <laughs> tell us what's that over there <laughs> um that, yeah i agree they they really i wish they had explained some of that but just like seeing someone who you know, and they've they've done this a couple of times. Like they did it with Saru, and they're doing it with her now, where she's like, "I haven't seen my people. Like they disowned me because I joined Starfleet." Which, yeah, they should have because fuck military, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but like, 
you know, her her hearing her language and all that. Like, I just found that really moving. And um, I, I liked that. And I also, I, I would love to be on a ship full of living plants. That's amazing. Well, and the whole thing where she comes back and, like, she can breathe and her eyes change back yeah. to their normal color. And, like, you know, she kind of, like, comes alive in a particular way when she's in yeah. this environment that feels like home to her. I thought that was a I, nice I don't, touch. Yeah, and what I don't get is, like... um. Okay, so there's a couple things that, like, made no sense to me. Why is Culber telling Michael what to say to this strange man that has no relationship to any of them when Culber could just tell him and do the, hey, your family's dead thing. I'm a doctor. I know. And he's very sensitive. So, like, he could do that diplomatically. The whole, yeah, also, like, Michael's the main character, so she needs to go do it. Also, the whole, well, you know, Non can't talk to him because they're from the same culture. So, and I'm like, that doesn't make... That's also Any kind sense of fucked. at all. Yeah. Just like completely. absolutely none. It was very um, contrived. And then also like, why wouldn't you bring the seed ship back to the Federation? Because you can. It fits like a quarter of the size of your ship. Put it in your fucking docking bay and bring it back because it's a Federation ship that they don't have access to anymore. Like is non taking it back to Barzon so that the family can be buried properly? And then yeah. what? I wasn't like, and then all either. of these seeds that have been saved by the Federation <laughs> are just like at bars on now that you don't have access also, to. They could beam up the bodies and the seeds, take the bodies with the spore yeah. drive to yeah. the bars on planet and then take the seeds back. Yeah. I was like, wait, that didn't make any sense. Yeah. Why no. is this, why is this working this way? Yeah. I wasn't clear on that either. You know, like, why can't they, why, are they just going to leave that ship in the middle of that ion storm? Are they like, are they going to, does it, yeah, I wasn't clear on any of that, but I don't think any of that is supposed to be important to the episode, but still it's like those details where you're like, it was another thing where it's like, it's like, yeah, it's like non, we want to write non off. So I guess she's going to stay on the ship. For reasons. Where she can reasons. properly. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I I really loved the hollow doctor because, you know, Voyager vibes. Um, yeah. Like I just was like, I like this little, you know, weird, creepy moment of humor. Um, also, the best line ever was in this episode where Jet says to Stamets, can we radiate your entire personality? <laughs> <laughs> um, when Stam- At the beginning of this, when Stamets is just a total. Oh, no, sorry. That's episode four. When Stamets is just a total piece of shit to Tilly, I was like, oh, please don't come back to this. Like, we're just barely. I'm just barely not hating Stamets anymore. Like, yeah. you know, going so. Going back to what you were saying before, though, Anita, about seeing Michael as the captain, I did. I I feel like they they did that, and they very deliberately had this person there who was watching them. Right? You know, it was the whoever the security person that got sent along from future um, Federation. Yeah. But I thought that was great because we we got to have this little encapsulated moment where it's like, yeah, seeing Michael step into her element, see the yeah. science team come together with their particular dynamic and solve this really complex problem to be like, yeah, like there are things about this that have gelled. Like these characters are good at this and they really do work well together. So it's in a sense, they were proving it to, you know, the Federation observer or whatever, but also as an audience, I'm watching it and I'm like, yeah, they are good at this stuff. Nice job show. (laughs) And they did, they have the same problem that they had in episode four where it was like skeptical, skeptical, skeptical. Okay. Instantly. Cool. Now like, oh, you work well together. Cool. And you're like, oh my God, come on. (laughs) I have a a thought. So this is a, a point of, you know, I guess plot question. Maybe I missed it and just am wrong. But did did it come up at all that the Federation has no dilithium and they just have an absolute shit ton of dilithium on their ship? 
They did not bring they that up that. once no. in episode five, which is very weird. I also feel like if they can scan the symbiont and know Senatol is in there, they can probably scan the ship and know there is probably the biggest repository of dilithium in the galaxy on that ship. Yeah. Yeah. It's very weird that it wasn't brought up even once since that has been like the core yeah. of every issue this whole season. That's yeah, you're right. I, I, and that never occurred to me until you just brought that up. But yeah, yeah that, that, that has been like a central problem in every episode up to this point. And then they find the Federation and nobody mentions the fact <laughs> that they have all this time. <laughs> like, well, we can the use that. When they were like, yeah, we're going to requisition your ship and take all your people. I was like, well, the first thing they're going to do is take the dilithium. And frankly, they should, because probably the Federation as an organization needs it more. But then they're just like, mm. eh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm also starting to, not not a lot, but I'm starting to worry a little teensy tiny bit about how they're, they're, they continue to tease out the mystery of what the burn was. Um, and I know that that's sort of become part of the structure of the show because the last season it was sort of the the ongoing story arc was built around this mystery that they needed to figure out as well and that's fine but i i find that the 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 current star trek shows one of the problems i've had with all of them so far even though i've 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 mostly liked them all um but one of the issues i've had with the writing of them is that they backload the solutions to their mysteries so much like with, with uh, the first season of Picard that it had that problem where it's like, Oh, there are all these questions and you want the answer to these questions. And we're not going to tell you anything until the last episode. And then it's like, and it's not going to be satisfying. Yeah, exactly. We already know it's not going to be satisfying. And part of the reason it's not satisfying is because they make you wait so long and then they tell you everything all at once. And with discovery, I'm, I'm really hoping that this season they don't backload it to that point where it's like, what's the burn? What happened? What caused the burn? What was the burn? And then they finally wait till the last episode and it's like, oh, it was this thing. And you're just like, oh, that's okay. I waited 13 episodes <laughs> to find out that it was just something that happened. You know? <laughs> it was the bug planet people was, who were yeah, like, exactly. whoops, we we had a we had an accident at our um dilithium, like a power plant. They're like dilithium plant had an accident and it just like Killed all the dilithium in the planet. Whoops, sorry, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I do think they're going to, I like that it's a mystery. I like that it wasn't neatly yeah. resolved. I would have liked to have here because they were like, there were so many theories. And I was like, give me a couple. Like, yeah, make, right? some, yeah. make some shit up. She I was went, waiting for that. Asked, she even asked, like, what are some of your theories? And he was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, hopefully we'll get them later. I do like that, that Michael's going to solve this problem, right? Like, Michael's oh, obviously sure. going to figure it out. Um, which feels a little, you know, boring and contrived, but also I really like her this season a lot. Like I really, really like the depth they're giving her and she just, she's more, she's looser and she's more playful. And I think the actor's just being given a lot more to work with. And also her hair finally looks good. So (laughs) there's that too. Um, so it looks like book is coming back. Thank God. I've been very lonely (laughs) and, um, it looks like they're going to like, they're going to have to escape or like, you know, somehow like leave the Federation to go save book. Right. Like that was the sense that I got or, or do something to help him. Um, so yeah, we might know nothing more about dilithium and we might know nothing else, but at least we get book back. I like, I like book so much. I like him for Michael, so obviously, but I also like and for him, me and God. for, and for <laughs> I also like, I also like book, you know, I think Giorgio touches on this at one point when Michael comes back that Michael is, there's maybe always been a part of her that hasn't totally vibed with the whole top down hierarchical, you know, federation thing. And she, she spent this year with book, you know, like 
not only forging this whole relationship with him, but forging this whole sense of herself outside of the Federation, you know, and you can see it. I like that they've dealt with that with her coming back and her like wanting to do outside of the box things, like wanting to like kind of go rogue on stuff because that was how she survived one. But two, I also think that she likes that version of herself. And I'm really curious to see the tension between those two versions of Michael, especially when book is there to bring that out in her versus, you know, her relationship to and responsibilities to Saru and the rest of the crew. Yeah, it's been fairly superficial so far. um, And I'm really hoping that they lean a lot harder into that. I, uh, I have a request. I would like someone to write me fan fiction of uh, post season three book and Michael uh, becoming um, like, um, abandoned lovers that just roam the galaxies <laughs> with their cat babies and uh get into adventures and like you know do the like the back to back like we're going to like shoot our way out of here i want this i want this fan- fantasy to come re- come to life for me so I've, if anyone wants to write that for me please do i think that could just be season 4 of this show i mean oh, like god <laughs> Yes, I would love that's one of the things as as much as I, I've been a Star Trek fan my whole life. I adore Star Trek. I do always appreciate it when we get to see uh, sort of sections of the world that are not Starfleet, you know, and that, that's one of the things that I really like about book as a character. He's one of those relative, even still like relatively few heroic characters who are not Starfleet or are not ex Starfleet or are not affiliated with, you know, he's just, he's a guy out there doing his own thing, trying to do the right thing, you know, on his own. He's not an officer. He's not in the service. He's just a guy trying to do the right thing. And it's nice, you know, for, for a franchise that is so centered on the institution of Starfleet and has invested so many hours in showing us, you know, how great and how noble these people in Starfleet are. It's nice to be reminded that, Oh, there's a whole galaxy outside of this. You know, full of people who also have things to offer and can also be heroic as well. You know, so that's and it's it's nice to have that, you know, that added sort of seasoning to it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, why don't we wrap up by giving our respective ratings for these episodes? You can do them together or separately and you can give them ratings out of whatever you would like. So, uh, Laura, how did you feel? So we're doing this out of 10. You're doing uh, it out of whatever you want. Okay. Um, and this is, this is, this is me, I mean, rating it out of like, really like, are we doing it? Okay. I, I'm like qualification. Make up, make up your own rating system. Okay. I'm doing this out of like all Star Trek ever. Not, wow. I'm, not Ooh. just, I'm not doing this in and of discovery is what I'm saying. I'm talking about what okay. I expect from like a really good Star Trek episode. Uh, I would give forget me not a 6.5. Uh, there were things I liked about it. There were flaws, but I still found it appealing and die trying, I'd give, I don't know, maybe a, a 5.75. <laughs> That's what my heart 5. says. 5.756298. Carry the one. 5.5 seems like you're really, it's like really boo. And like, you know, I'm not quite there. Not quite there. All right. All right, Steve, <laughs> um, please, please define your entire yes. rating structure and then give us your rating. <laughs> what, what's the point of using a 10 point scale if you're just going to use decimal points anyway? Um, I was, uh, I, I would give forget me not in honor of Buster Keaton. I will give forget me not four out of five pork pie hats. 
Um, mm-hmm. And for die trying uh, in honor of the cause of the problems on the uh, the seed ship, I will give it three out of five coronal mass ejections. Wow. Cool, 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 cool. All right, I'm going to rate mine based on this season of Discovery. Okay. Like very specifically based on the the previous three episodes, which I loved. I am going to give uh, episode four a three out of five seed banks. And I'm going to give episode five a... (laughs) 3.95 maybe a four four seed banks so out of five um cool well thank you both of you for joining us is there anything you want to plug or any places that folks can find you uh youtube (laughs) just just (laughs) youtube and it'll and steve will appear exactly youtube.com slash steve shives if for some reason after listening to this you think i want to hear more from that guy you do. I know they do. They do. They totally do. They just can't admit it to themselves yet. <laughs> in time. All in good time. Uh, I'm primarily on Twitter right now. That's uh, Laura, L-A-U-R-A underscore Hudson, H-U-D-S-O-N. That's mostly where I am. I don't know. I've been thinking about starting a newsletter or something, so I might do that. We'll see. I know lots of great people doing newsletters. Right? I love that idea. Thank you. I Anita. would read your yeah. newsletter. Thank you. Maybe I will. Great. Um, we I'll plug both of those links into the show notes for folks. Um, so yeah, that's it for us. Join us in two weeks when we're going, going to be joined by Trace Dominguez and Charlie Jane Anders to talk about episodes six and seven. If you want to support this show, you can head over to patreon.com slash femfreak and give us some money and that will be lovely support. <laughs> thanks both of you for joining us and thanks everyone for listening. Bye. I don't know why I waved. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>